You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bitcoin Fundamentals Podcast. On today's show, it is broken down into two different segments. In the first segment, I have finance veterans Greg Foss and James Lavish to cover macro, surging credit default swaps, oil and energy prices still bidding, and what that means, Bitcoin, the broader stock market indexes, and plenty more. Then in the second half of the show, I talk about the Looking Glass education platform with Dr. Jason Sansoni and Sebastian Bunny. Both of the conversations are action-packed and full of actionable information, so sit right back, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I had recording. So with that, let's roll the intro. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with this team. We're going to be talking macro. We're going to be talking about the Looking Glass education platform. Gents, there is, it seems like every day just gets crazier. It seems like every day you, you read something else in the news and you're just like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. So my first question for the group here is, what are some stats that, you have, that have recently popped up on your radar or a chart or a news article or anything that just made your eyebrows go up and you said, my God, what is this? Go ahead, Greg. I know what you're going to oh, say. No, no, no. Just I go for I it. I want, I want the it. other. No, I want the other fellows to uh, to get their time. Uh, Preston, thanks for having me. For I think this is the fourth time, so people don't need to hear from me. So go ahead, fellas, and uh, I'll, I have an idea right there, but uh, it's not going to be the first uh, point of discussion. James, take but, it away. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, one of the things I've been watching, we've been talking about actually with Luke Roman, we've talked about it a little bit, is the problem that with the the Central Bank of Japan you know, and Mm. the Japanese yen and where that's going right now. You know, we talk about yield curve control with the United States and the Fed and just to jump right in yield curve control, right? So (laughs) to back up for your listeners a little bit, you know, the yield curve normally looks like it's in, in a normal distribution of a yield curve, which is just the plotting of all the yields of the treasuries in a government. So you'll have the three month, you have the six month, the one year, two year, 10 year, all the way down to 30 year. In, in a normal distribution, a normal chart, it'll, it will actually curve upwards, right? So further you go out, the, the higher the rates go. It's just a normal distribution for people in their time preference. If I'm going to loan you money for a longer period of time, I'm going to want a larger return for that, right? So but anyways, the problem that, um, that we've come up upon, and we just saw the yen fall out of bed the last couple of months, you know, and it has just gotten destroyed. And so people are asking, why is that happening? What's going on? Well, we talk about the Fed possibly asserting yield curve control down the line, meaning that they're trying to keep the yields at a certain rate. Well, in Japan, they've declared they are absolutely going to buy every single 10-year treasury and keep that rate at a quarter of a percent, 25 basis points, they will buy every single treasury. And so the problem is that leaves all these institutions, all these investors who are selling those bonds with yen that they don't want to be holding yen, so they've got to sell the yen. And the obvious return, the obvious other side of that trade will be the US dollar. 
So you've seen the yen just collapse from the US dollar as they sell those treasuries, the Bank of Japan buys them, and then the investor sells the yen. And so we're in a situation now where I think the yen is in deep trouble. And it depends on what they do going forward, but they're holding over a trillion dollars, 1.3 or 1.4 trillion dollars of US treasuries and another 1.3 or 1.4 trillion dollars of US denominated assets. So to shore up the yen, they may be selling those, which in turn will affect our market and our treasuries. So it's just something that I'm kind of watching and seeing how it plays out. But Greg and I talked about it last week and just watching some of these treasuries rolling off the Bank of Japan sheets. And it, it's something out there that, that surprised me that it's happened so rapidly. When I'm looking at the, the chart for the yen, you're seeing lows relative to the dollar that you haven't seen in literally 22 years on that exchange. Now, one of the things that I find strange, because Greg has taught me to look at the CDS, when I look at the CDS and how much a lot of these CDSs have moved around the world over the last six months, the Japanese CDS is actually not nearly as bad as most other locations. So why would that? That doesn't make any sense to me. The credit markets <laughs> move slowly and incremental change is what's, you know, you always have to look at the velocity and then the acceleration, right, Preston? You, you're a physics guy yeah, and yeah. you know that it's actually more often the second derivative than the first derivative that matters. But let's be honest, we are not in a contagion event for a G7 nation yet, okay? So Japan, I'm going to group all the ECBs together, the USA, we, Canada, which is the outlier, is the one we have to worry about relative to a G7 nation that doesn't have historical support for the stability of its currency. All I'm trying to say is, let's remember there's G7 credit default swaps and G7 fiats, and then there's 150 other countries that really need Bitcoin, that really suffer the, you know, the challenges of managing a central bank and a debt burden in a quote unquote junk sovereign. And what would be a junk sovereign? Well, Argentina, which is a G20 country, has failed four times in my career, Preston, mm -hmm. four times, which is to say they've never had a 30-year bond that's actually matured. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the Argentine government will issue a 30-year bond and it has never matured in my 40 years of managing risk. A 30-year bond from Argentina has never matured, yet they keep issuing it. And then we'll take a G11 country like Turkey, which is on the precipice right now. I don't want it to endure more pain for the citizens of Turkey, but the odds are it's going to get worse. I'm not laughing about it. I'm just like, that's the way, you know, momentum and acceleration is your enemy when you are in a debt spiral, right? You know, you can never attain a escape velocity if the acceleration is sucking you into that vortex. And I guess, you know, Japan will deal with their demons in due course. This is the first, James points out, a first break in it, but it's not going to be, in my opinion, unlikely to be the event that pushes it right over the cliff versus 
What does Japan really do? Indirectly makes other countries worse. And yes. they don't understand this, but it actually, okay, I can't swear. So <laughs> something slows downhill, okay? You know, it, it just flows downhill. And you have to remember that's what happens when you lose confidence in the top dominoes. Maybe that domino wobbles a little bit, but it's like a butterfly's wings, right? The butterfly starts up here, but the damage stops, starts way downhill. And look at the general movement of yield spreads in credit default swaps on sovereign debt. And it's a widening of spreads and the acceleration of the top rated credits is actually the same as that of the bottom rated credits, but the bottom rated credits is more visible because you're starting with a greater elasticity, if you will. I don't want to get too granular here, but you are you already did, Greg. Like, <laughs> okay, so for a say? surgeon, for a surgeon, it's like pass me the butcher knife instead of the scalpel. Okay, bang. <laughs> You know, you're done. We're taking a limb off. Okay. We're not even going to try and do that. We're going to cut the limb right off. And, you know, it, it's tough, right, guys? Credit is an asymmetric bet to the downside. Like nothing good happens in credit. It's a horrible business to manage. If you really do well, you get your money back. And if you do really badly, you lose everything. How's that for a, a you know, a, a great? So that's why there's an expression, Preston. Equity holders are optimists. Trees grow to the moon. You know, absolutely. The growth is going to go on forever. And bondholders are pessimists. And there's the reality is somewhere in between those two. Japan is not the problem right now. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. It has a tr current account surplus. Mm -hmm. It is a country that exports. That is diametrically opposed to the United States which has a current account deficit because it imports the trade balance of the JGBs or the uh, of Japan has allowed it to run up a deficit that the USA could never mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. purely because the USA has a current account deficit. To your point though, Greg, a couple of things that you were saying in there. So first of all, I, I love it because you're, first and second order derivative comment was the initial reason why I reached out to you, right? And we, we don't need to get into the origin story, but the, the whole point was you're telling everybody this is 11th grade math. I don't, I don't remember covering that in 11th grade. <laughs> I remember covering it in like third semester of college calculus. And then, and then my all-time favorite Greg Foss quote was, you know, it's, it's a Taylor series. I mean, hello, everybody knows what a Taylor series. Nobody knows what a Taylor series is, Greg. Literally nobody. So the point is, though, is that when you talk about velocity and acceleration and you relate that into the bond market, I mean, that's difficult for financial outsiders like myself or like Seb to kind of grasp. And I think um, um, that's one of the points here that we're, we're trying to make with regard to translating this message, because your point's well taken. And now that I've heard it 15 times, it makes sense. But for most people, that's right over, right over their head. Interestingly, and back to what James had said too, I'm interested in the same thing with the yen, but I'm watching or asking the question of what does that do to the yuan? I mean, when suddenly their neighbor is more competitive exporting goods, right? What does China do? Because suddenly their exports are less 
are less attractive to the rest of the world, and that's going to cause yeah. some issues there. So I, you know, I'm kind of interested in the geopolitical fallout of the drop in the value of the yen. Well, um, I, th- I think that it's it's important to also bring up the fact that we have all of these moving parts right now. But the problem is, are we even being given clarity as to what is happening? And so we can look at, say, CPI. If we think about interest rates and we look at CPI, the problem is a lot of this stuff is controlled by a centralized body. And so we're not even getting accuracy as to what the true interest rate is on debt. And so interest rates, if we think about them in their simplest form, they're credit risk. So naturally, as the economy starts to be fiscally irresponsible, as we start to see a rise in malinvestment, interest rates should naturally rise. If we can suppress interest rates, then nobody really knows what's actually going on. And this, this is the same for what Greg was saying when it comes to like, the credit ratings for countries. If you've got a AAA like Canada, triple or double A, but when you look at its CDS, spread, uh, CDS, it is far higher. The CDS is telling you something, that these ratings are not accurate. They're not actually telling us the truth of the matter. And so I think going back to the whole Bitcoin decentralization, centralization, when you have a centralized body controlling a metric which is meant to dictate risk in the markets, are we getting an accurate representation of what is going on? Greg, so the last time you and I talked about the CDS, the credit default swaps, I pulled up the website here and it's on worldgovernmentbonds.com. And then under sovereign CDS, you can see the rates and how they've changed over the last month, over the last six months. And I mean, there are, this is aggressively different than the last time you and I talked about this. I'm just going to throw out some numbers for, for people. Denmark, 45% increase in the last six months. Austria, 27%. Norway, 21%. Germany, 47%. Sweden, 61%. New Zealand, 70%. Australia, 74%. Portugal, 66%. Spain, 58%. These are, these are not, these numbers that we're throwing out are not normal increases in CDS for standard, normal functioning economies or, or global economies. Except, except the world is all linked on what's called a volatility metric. Mm-hmm. And as equity volatility increases, there is a natural hedging dynamic that causes credit spreads globally to increase. Okay. That is just a time-tested metric that measures risk. Okay, go Greg, ahead. Greg, don't you, wouldn't you say that that's more that that global collective tightening of this and this this price blowing yeah. out yeah. is a function of how strong the dollar is and how interconnected it is Could to be. everything in the economy. 100%. I mean, one of the things when the DXY increases and the strength of the US dollar, there's a time-tested a formula that says emer- emerging markets blow up and so let's take that to a second level effect. What if you are a country that sells a lot of product to emerging market economies? Your economy itself is going to be indirectly impacted by trade flows that you can't sell your products to these. So everything is connected, Preston. It's, it's you know it. Volatility is a measure of risk, and there is no market that escapes it. Why? Well, because you have hedge funds in the world that ensure that pain in one market is translated to another market, because if it's not, they're going to make sure they are out there invoking pain on that other market so that it all settles out in the risk washing machine. 
There will never be a market that is isolated from a risk off event or a withdrawal of liquidity from the system. It flows downwards, as I said before. It'll start in high yield debt. It'll move to emerging market debt because the high yield traders always watch what CDS is in emerging markets. If high yield spreads are blowing out, they will buy protection on emerging market debt because that correlation, and it all flows downwards eventually to the higher rated sovereigns. Because again, if a lower rated sovereign is blowing out, someone will say, guess what? I'm going to sell protection, meaning I'm going to sell insurance on the lower rated sovereign and buy insurance on the higher rated sovereign and play the delta or the basis spread between the two. You may think this is like some sort of Star Wars movie. It's not. This is how trading desks work. They do it in big size. It's very, very hidden to their retail investor. They will never see what's going on, but that's not what the retail investor gets to see. This is where big money operates. This is where there's billion dollar trades over the counter, the Goldman Sachs of the world lining up against AIG or with AIG against BlackRock. And this is how risk is mitigated or transformed throughout the market. It's actually pretty fun. That being said, it is like an elastic band. There is nothing that escapes. There is no way that any credit market would stay stagnant in the event of a NASDAQ market down 30%, okay? That's all you have to know. The NASDAQ's down 30%, equity volatility's above 30% annualized, credit default swap spreads are widening because there are guys that can create vol out of a sovereign credit default swap spread and sell it back to those other markets. It's just a game of whack-a-mole. When I, th- I think you bring up such a good point, which is if you distill that down for the average wage earner, what's important to note is that at the moment when we see Bitcoin declining as it has been the last little while, it's not that Bitcoin's value proposition has changed. It is not that Bitcoin has lost anything in the eyes of Bitcoiners and people that see the potential of Bitcoin. Because what happens is if you overlay Bitcoin's chart with the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, what you realize is that it is only declining because we've seen all of these institutions and big money start to exit Bitcoin. It's got nothing to do with its value proposition. And not just exit, but also using it as a very sloppy or quasi hedge for their risk on assets, right? Mm -hmm. So they're shorting it ahead of, they know that they need some some sort of protection. And if they don't want to just short queues, they're using Bitcoin to hedge that that next move lower. And it's, we all agree here. I know all of us agree that that's, the, that's not really the point of Bitcoin. That's not, it's, the, it's the purest form of money that's ever been created. But until you get investors truly understanding this broadly and deeply, it's going to continue to happen. You know, it's got to form a separate asset class completely in order to be used properly and by those institutions. And honestly, there has to be some price discovery and faces ripped off for that to happen. And it will. It will happen at some point. It's just a question of when. So, but that's, I, I think that's a great point, Seb. And to your point, to your point, James, I mean, I think the average, the average retail and, and Seb, the average retail investor has no idea that this goes on behind the scenes. None. And so it's always amazing to me when, when Bitcoin trades down a thousand dollars or whatever. And 
And it's it it correlates with the SPX and everybody on Twitter is like, oh my God, when is it gonna when is it gonna you know uh, delink from that <laughs> doesn't happen it doesn't happen overnight. But but again, back to the point of people don't have a basic understanding of how markets work, and when when that happens, they're they're forced to essentially make poor decisions, whether it's with their own money or with their emotions or whatever, because they don't see what's actually going on. And so that's that's I think part of the issue in, in, in why there's such a need for education for retail investors and, and even wage earners, really. It's not just, you don't have to be an investor to actually understand what's going on. Because when you read the headlines and you try to follow the narratives that the mainstream media, media paints, it's complete falsity, falsity, completely false. And it leads people very, very astray and very confused. So Preston, one of the things that you, know, you mentioned what I saw lately that blew my mind. I'm going to turn it back to a legacy investor who is a top four global account, and that's Fidelity. They have come out with a number of research reports that I think will be seminal investment reports that will change the digital asset community. One of the most important ones is they examine digital assets and the conclusion basically is there's only one digital asset that hedges the fiat ponzi and that's bitcoin so there's bitcoin that stands alone as a hedge against the fiat ponzi and then they describe it less rudely than i will but and you need to read that report because you will see that they are laying the groundwork for offering digital assets to their clients and they are a top four account in the world. And if the other three of the four top four accounts in the world, the vanguards, the Black Rocks of the world, do not offer digital assets to their clients, and Fidelity is, and the clients want that silo, they're not going to stick with the other two that aren't offering them. Yep. The other two may offer them and not believe in them. And we'll wait and see whether their clients actually allocate assets to it or not. But it's a very important report for an asset that's only 13 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. I need people to understand this is not like high yield bonds that are 30 years old. This is Bitcoin and digital assets that are just over 10 years old. Now, the more and just, important- to, just to give just to give context to that, to what it, to what you're saying, Greg, is the v- fidelity. Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, Morgan State. When you add up those five firms, you're talking about $30 trillion of assets under management. So Fidelity coming out with this report is massive. They're over $4 trillion. So sorry, yeah. but that's no, just no, for the context perfect. of the... Yeah. yeah I mean, like, and, and so look, let's do the math on the run here then. So they own $30 trillion or they manage $30 trillion of assets. And let's say they advise their clients to put a 5% allocation in there. So 30 trillion times 5% is 1.5 trillion. That's a tripling of the value of Bitcoin relative to its current market price. And it will actually go much higher because it's not like you can purchase that much just on the run. But I wanted to point out, Preston, if I may, the bigger issue that I saw from Fidelity that went under the radar by and large. And that's the comparison of the adoption rate of Bitcoin relative to two other technologies that have happened in my lifetime. 
One is the internet and the other is cell phone adoption. And in both cases, Bitcoin is beating the adoption of that. And Greg Foss may have a price target for Bitcoin and no one in the world cares, except that Fidelity has by and large the same price target as I do based on different metrics. Okay. Mm -hmm. But this is Fidelity. This is a, a $4 trillion asset manager. The most assets I ever managed in my life was $5 billion, Okay. These guys are thousands of times bigger than I ever was. Yeah, but you're, you're Fostility. Okay. Well, at the end of the day, I also swear a lot and they don't. And they, they keep their clients and I lose all of mine. But at the, so, so remember the price target that goes from here though, guys. They're calling for multiple million dollar price targets in Bitcoin, not with 100% certainty, but man, oh man, if I'm listening to Scott Miner in one year and I'm listening to Fidelity in the other year, I'm going with Fidelity. I'm sorry, Scott, you might change your price target like you change your shorts, okay? But at the end of the day, you're a knucklehead. You are not allowed to change your price target without stating the probability of it going in either direction. Okay. I know that your price target includes both sides of the bell curve. The MSN is going to pick up whichever one they want to pick up on a daily basis, but you can't just suck and blow at the same time. You have to give probabilities on both sides of the curve. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey guys, do you ever wonder how investors like Peter Thiel have Roth IRAs worth billions? Many do more than just save a portion of their income, invest it in the stock market, and cross their fingers and hope it grows enough to retire on. The secret is they use something called a self-directed IRA, which has all the tax advantages we love, but with a twist. Instead of being stuck with stocks, bonds, and cookie cutter options, a self-directed IRA with New Direction Trust Company allows you to invest your retirement savings in what you know and what you're passionate about. From real estate to startups to gold and silver, there are nearly unlimited investment options. You could even finance and set the terms of a loan. You name it, NDTCO will help you fund it. We're not saying you'll be the next Peter Thiel, but we're not not saying that either. Because his secrets are now your secrets. Check out New Direction Trust Company and self-directed IRAs today at NDTCO.com and unlock the potential of your retirement savings. 
That's NDTCO.com. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. All right, back to the show. One of the charts I recently saw, Greg, that I just loved was this one from Yuri and Timmer from Fidelity. He's their global macro director. And he showed what I'm interpreting as the last credit cycle. So before you had the COVID meltdown, the subsequent central banking response to the tune of 11.3 trillion globally was how much was added onto the, the top four central banks. You saw the reflation across all these different asset classes, and then you saw it fizzle out. You saw the units, the fiat units in the system start to contract, and you see all of those different sectors start to, to contract. And in that chart, you can see the performance of a cycle. You know, you're an engineer, I'm an engineer. I, you know, it's what's, what's the hertz? What are the, what's the magnitude of the wave, right? When I'm looking at it. And so for, for me, this chart was just so representative of that's a cycle right there. These cycles are getting faster. The frequency of them are getting faster. They're having more magnitude as this thing's trying to express itself into the new financial system that everybody seems to be talking about now. You mentioned that before. If you said that we're falling into a new financial system pre-COVID, everyone would have rolled their eyes and, and just laughed at you. Now it's kind of like, yeah, you're right. We are moving to a new financial system. In this chart, I think it's really important to, because people will look at this, people will buy Bitcoin six months ago and they'll say, it's down, it's down uh, 50%. You guys are crazy. And And my immediate response back to that person is, how are you snapping your timeline of of what you're considering a cycle? You know, before the before things started getting so crazy with central bank intervention, I would have told a person, you know, for Bitcoin for me, if pick any four-year period of time, and I think that's representative of the performance of Bitcoin. Now I think I would probably say, what's one full credit cycle? That are happening very quickly now. It seems like they're happening on like a two-year time frame, and they used to be like six to seven-year credit yeah, cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ten years yeah. even. But these things are picking up pace. This thing's falling apart. It's very clear that all the fiat units in the system are drying up because they're broken promises, broken paper promises, and it's all becoming. It's coming down to whether you actually have hard commodities that everybody's demanding, and they're trying to trade in their paper promises for it. So. As we look at this, I think it's going to be really interesting to see when the Fed capitulates, when these central banks eventually have to step in, and we all know they have to, and they go for the reflation. It's going to be really interesting to see that. I would love to see Urian's chart, and I think most people know which chart I'm I'm referring to, and if not, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh 
it's going to be really interesting to see what percent all of those are at compared to the previous bottom because you can see where they're at from top to top, which is one yeah. cycle. I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see where they're at from bottom to bottom when we, when we complete that portion of the cycle, just to see what percent. And clearly, Bitcoin's still outperforming all those other sectors I, on its chart. Preston, can, I you... say, can I say one thing? Sorry, yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah, I ahead. need to say this because as an engineer, you're assuming there is a next cycle. What yeah, if, absolutely. And this is, this is the problem, right? There will be a time when the cycle doesn't repeat. And well, I we think. Just, well, so Greg, no, if I was going to argue with yeah. you, like we're already seeing the contraction of it. So if they stepped in tomorrow, well, for yeah. me, tomorrow would be the the bottom of it, and I would take the oh, measurement I from. I hear you, a hundred percent. Except, what if we have a lawyer in the world's most important risk chair that decides <laughs> to push to an extreme that he's never managed risk before, and he's yeah. stretching that rubber band further than it ever has. Yeah. And that rubber band doesn't come back. What if there is no Fed put? Yeah. Remember, everyone's counting on a Fed put. And this is an article that Seb and I wrote, why I love Bitcoin so much. It's actually a put on the Fed put. In other words, it means you own insurance that the Fed is either not going to invoke the Fed put or more worrisome. And this is the one that worries me. The markets call their bluff and they say, so I'm not doing this again because every single Fed put, you do your cycle and correctly, you're saying this is how it was. And now it gets, it gets shorter and sharper. And they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like the Luna collapse. Okay. The Luna collapse is exactly what could happen to fiat currencies because Luna is basically fiat on a digital blockchain and centralized by a bunch of buffoons, okay? So, exactly like central banking. And don't overthink the fact that there will be a time when the Fed put is no longer the savior. I don't want that to be the case, Preston, but you need to own insurance for when that could, and I say could, happen. Well, I think, well, I was just gonna mention one thing quickly. Um, Well, two things. So, first off, if you ever listen to Lacey Hunt, he talks about how there's basically three drivers in the economy. There's basically land, so it's just kind of our natural resources. There's labor, it is our productivity, it is our demographics, it's how hard we work. And then there is our capital. And so that is the banks, that is uh, the, the monetary policy, that is the central banks. Now, we tend to always focus on the issues we are facing from a monetary policy perspective. And I think that Greg puts it so well, where if we look at Canada for a second, Canada has 422% debt to GDP. Now, for those who don't know GDP, just think of it as a country's income. So that means we've got 4.2 times debt to the income of Canada. Now, if we've got 4.2 times debt to the income of Canada and the interest rate, a conservative interest rate on all of that debt is say 3%, that basically means that we're looking at 12.66% required growth just to pay the interest on this debt, let alone like start to pay down the debt. And if we look actually over the last 100 years of Canada, our average GDP growth has been 0.76%. We are a long way off, a long, long way off ever paying down any of our debt. And so that's one point. But the other point is, if we look at this, you, you answer, asked at the start any like, interesting like, wild facts that you've kind of noticed. One thing that I read the other day is the People's Bank of China has come out and said, because of the one-child policy, in the next 45 years, China's population is going to half. If we look at the US, 
The US has a 0.35% growth rate in population. That is, since the 1900s, that's the lowest it's ever been. And Canada is going to see a 60% growth in 65 and older versus a 10% growth in everyone under. That means that suddenly, all of these people that were spending into the economy, all of that spending is going to stop. That money is going to dry up because these people are going to have to save for retirement. So not only are we facing a massive debt burden, but suddenly all this money is going to be sucked from the financial markets, sucked from the natural spending into the economy. And I, th- I think we've got a massive, massive issue. And this kind of goes back to Greg's point. Are we seeing a paradigm shift? Are we seeing a change? Because we're coming to the, the end of the tether. Now, it may not be in the next four years, maybe in 10 years. We don't, we don't really know. But we're facing some major, major issues. And at the moment, the only response, the, uh, the only, uh, response government really have is to print more money to try and like mask the issues. And, that, and that's the thing is that, you know, while this is all going on in the background, your average person out there who doesn't know a thing about the economy, right, who just reads headlines, turns on 60 minutes one night. And here's Neil Kashkari from the Fed in St. Louis saying, we can print infinite money. <laughs> and so, of course, if you're hearing that, you're thinking, oh, well, that's fine. The Federal Reserve's got, got my back. We're, we're covered. We're good. Well, Jay Powell. That's, that's, that's the problem I have with it, right? It's this, mm-hmm. it's this narrative that's based upon effectively a whole book of lies. Mm-hmm. And, and, and unfortunately, we live in a, in a world in which the truth is obfuscated from people who are none the wiser. And, you know, I, this is an example. It's like, I'm sitting here, my, my daughter's going into middle school next year, and we're looking at the courses she can take. You know, she gets some electives. Not that she needs to take advanced economics and, and you know, Austrian economic theory as a, as a sixth grader. Obviously not. But my point is, there are no courses on financial literacy. None. She can take a course where she gets to sew something. Well, that's real useful. You know, I appreciate that. At least she'll get to sew a pillow for her bed. <laughs> but yet she'll go through her entire high school career and potentially college career with, with knowing zero about the way the financial world works. And, and I'm not putting on a tinfoil hat here. You know, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but I have to ask if there's a certain amount of that that's by design, right? Because if I was running the type of system that the federal government's running or governments around the world, central banks around the world, if I was running that system, I don't think I'd want to tell anybody the truth either. Amen to that. Hey, one more question on this macro, and then I want to dive into some of the looking glass uh, conversation that we were planning on talking about. James, you started this off with the yield curve control, and I'm with you. I think that this is, this is such a driving force to all of this that we're currently experiencing right now. And what I think people that aren't familiar with currency markets might not realize is if you have Japan doing these actions and they are a major, massive in size central bank, and they're debasing their currency and making it that weak, they're making the dollar that much stronger and they're making all that dollar denominated debt that's prevalent throughout the world that much harder to repay for all the people that deal in currencies, right? So you've got this driving force that's happening in Japan. And some people were asking me about yield curve control because I've been talking about it a lot here in 2022. And what I haven't really kind of talked about is I think the US is probably going to be the last country to really implement yield curve control. Yes. And so when you're looking at it from a global lens, it doesn't surprise me that Japan's first. They've, you know, they 
they tapped into 0% interest rates and, and got here first. So when you're looking at another G7 or major central bank around the world, where do you see the next? Because once you go yield curve control, I don't know that you can necessarily come off of that. So who's next? And then what does that do to the dollar? Does that just keep... Are we in this fight where the dollar just keeps getting bid until the U.S. has to do yield curve control at the very end, and then it's just it's just game I mean, over at that point. You, your guess is as good as mine, Preston. But I think the next major one that we're all thinking about and watching is the ECB. I mean, they're just now going to be raising rates, right? Yeah, this summer they're at zero. I mean, they're, they're just now they're negative, right? And that's the thing is they've had negative rates for so long. You know, um, it's just it's it's unbelievable how how they've strangled their economy, uh, but not their economy. They've strangled their investors with this debt. Yeah, they don't realize because you know pension funds in Europe had they have a mandate; they have to buy the debt. So they've been able to do it for all this time. So I think that I think that they're we we've heard the central bankers say it over and over again. We just heard Powell say it. I, I said this this morning on a Twitter Space is that. He admitted the Fed is reactionary. They're not looking at being ahead of the curve. They're reacting to the information they have. And the information they have is months old. And it's off of information that is, is so slow to move. I mean, like they're so far behind the curve. So imagine how far behind the curve the ECB is. And that's so I think that my opinion is that they're the next, that they're the next big one to actually see. I agree with you. Greg, do you, what do you think? I can't argue with that because, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the uh, Germany, you remember when in 2012, the, the acronym PIGS, right? So Portugal, Italy, Greece, yeah. and Spain, all of those guys would be gone right now, except that they are under the, uh, under the protection of Germany and the European Central Bank, the Draghi famously said, we will do whatever it takes. Right? I remember so, that. I remember yeah. that. And that, that was right. a crazy thing, but can I take a step back in one stat that I wanted to point out that, so I was in South Dakota this weekend. Heck, what a great state. All right. And I was there with Eric Yakes. Do you know Eric uh, Preston? The seventh property book? Yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't read it yet, but uh, Eric uh, gave a presentation that I was very impressed with. And this, the stat that he said that stuck with me is that US Treasury bonds have gone from representing 72% of global reserves down to 59% mm. of global wow. reserves. And people can say, oh, people will always buy our debt. Perhaps true, but you got to look at the trend, right? And the trend is your friend or it's not your friend. So that 13% decrease in the representation of U.S. Treasury bonds on the global balance sheets of central banks is a trend. Is it accelerating? Well, actually, it is accelerating, but I don't want to go into that level. What I want to point out is Japan has been a net seller of U.S. Treasury bonds because their interest rate parity calculation does not allow them to hedge the currency back to U.S. Uh, J, uh, does not allow them to hedge U.S. Treasury holdings using the 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 uh, cross rate for the yen versus the dollar Greg, back I, to yen at an efficient rate. Okay, so it's more Greg, easy. Can, can we translate what you said there just for a second? No, I no, think no, 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 no. Because we don't need to do it right now. The point is this: I love what you're trying to do, Jason, but don't overthink this. 
72% down to 59% is the number I want people to focus on. Japan is a net seller. We don't have to explain why they are. They are just a net seller. As you go down, who has to pick up that slack? That's quantitative printing by the Federal Reserve. That is why we have QE Infinity. One more shout out to our beautiful Bitcoin community and the work that Luke Groman has done on this subject. Okay, Preston? Yeah. I was on a worldwide tour. I felt like a rock band. I was in Dallas, not because I'm a rock band, just because I'm lucky enough to listen. And I was at the Mark Moss conference with James Lavish in Dallas. The presentation that blew me away was Luke Groman's analysis that absolutely rocked the world from a math perspective. As you know, I love mathematics. He basically leads, he basically tells us why it is mathematically impossible for the USA not to continue printing money forever. He laid it out as beautifully as I could, but the big picture for people, Jason, for surgeons and people that like big numbers, 72% down to 59%. And it's going lower, people, because that's the way math works. So, yes, there's a lot to unpack there, I think. And and what you're talking about is with the yields on sovereign debt so low on the U.S. Treasuries, when you have to then buy a contract to hedge your foreign exchange exposure, your yield either goes de minimis or it becomes negative is what you're what you're speaking about as it relates to the, the, the yen and foreign nations buying our debt, right? When the yields are so low, you can't hedge the currency risk because it becomes a negative yield. Now, I'll throw out one investment. that is not in the calculations of most economists, and that is the fact that the USA can freeze reserves of foreign nations that are holding US treasuries yeah. if they don't like the, the way those foreign nations are behaving. So, like, Well, to your point, or, to your or, point, or, right, or though, block. <laughs> or block payments. Oh, exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. So there you go. Yeah. Russia block is payments default, to, to, to so force to force exactly. Russia to default. Exactly. These well, are and, all and, things. And, and Luke's big point, which which completely brilliant, and everybody should should read Luke Roman. But his point is the world does not want the rest of the world does not want to use U.S. Treasuries as their reserve assets mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, right? The least of which is is they can be sanctioned. They're holding a debasing asset that over time will lose purchasing power. I mean, there's all these reasons, right? Geopolitical and, and financial in nature. And so, you know, to your point, the world's been dishoarding of U.S. treasuries for quite some time. And what is, you know, like you're saying, 72% to 59%, where does that end up? It ends up with fully reserved debt on our own balance sheet. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. 
So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Ravs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey guys, it's Clay Fink here, host of We Study Billionaires. Want to hear one of my favorite sounds? Here it is. That's the sound I hear when I'm learning a new language with Babbel. And if you want to learn a new language this year, I guarantee it'll be one of your favorite sounds too. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that actually works. Their quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. I love Babbel because it makes it so easy for me to speak Spanish while ordering food, asking for directions, or just having basic conversations without needing the help of my phone. It's no wonder that Babbel has sold over 16 million subscriptions and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash WSB. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash WSB. Rules and restrictions may apply. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. Up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business. And they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right. Back to the show. Exactly. I think you're, you're finally getting the moment where the fixed income community is, they can do the math. They're looking at the trend and they're saying, I can do that math too <laughs> of where this looks like this is going. And you're having an awakening and they're starting to, they're starting to piece it together and they're starting to say, this is looking like a really ugly baby from a global perspective of all the fixed income on the planet when they're looking at these inflation prints that are not going away and they don't appear like they're going to get any better anytime soon. And then when they're looking at the reaction that they're expecting out of every central banker on the planet, they're saying, 
my God, if that was their last response and they're probably going to have to double down on whatever that last response was, I can only imagine what it is I'm holding right, right now. Right, so the, next re- the next response is that they, you know, they have to, they don't have a choice. They are going to have to decide to allow the, the natural inflation rate to gravitate upwards to three and a half to four and a half percent. They just don't have a choice. They're not yeah. going to be able to keep it at 2%. So where does it go from there? Right? Because exactly. now if it's at, then natural is at four or 5%, then where does it go from there? So a couple cycles from now, it could be. People thinking that this over. is like 1981, I think are grossly mistaken. Preston, can I ask a question from the financial outsider perspective? Yeah, yeah. Which I think is on a lot of people's minds because we talk about this concept of the whole system unraveling and the fixed income market, you know, really getting impaired. For the three financial insiders on the call, if you wouldn't mind kind of laying out what, what kind of a timeline is this? Because my, my impression on Twitter is people think it's going to happen next Wednesday, right? And, and then when it doesn't happen, they're like, well, that's, that's it. You know, Greg and I, Greg and I, de- I think, see this a little bit differently. I'm kind of curious how James sees it. So I think it's a faster timeline. Greg seems to think it's going to be a little bit slower and kind of work its, its way out. But let's hear what, what James I, thinks. I, I think it's going to be, I don't think it's as fast as, uh, as people. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not. Because if it's, if it's super fast, it's going to be cataclysmic. cataclysmic. Right, it's going to be an ugly unwinding. But James, so, that's, that's mixing what you hope versus, I know. <laughs> versus I know. what so, you think is most probable. I know, I know. that's a, that, and you have to keep emotion out of investing. Yeah, right, Preston. Yeah. So honestly, just looking at it, and and people, you know, you would expect things to happen a lot faster than they normally do, especially with currencies. And they, we, you heard what Greg was saying before. Debt markets move super slow. Like everything's moving in slow motion. And what we're seeing surprises us because we're paying attention. There are a lot of people who this isn't even on their radar, you know? They have no idea how quickly rates have moved in, you know, in response and especially the at the uh, the riskier tail end of it. So I think you're gonna get my my opinion. Is this year we're gonna we're gonna step up rates? We're gonna step up a, f- a few more times, you know, fifty bips, another quarter, another quarter, and then they're gonna step back. And I think that the market is going to tank because, like I said, I think that Powell is going to he's going to be reactionary, and then by the fourth quarter or first quarter next year, they're gonna pivot. I don't think it's gonna happen, you know, in the summer. I think they'll they'll pivot probably sometime next year. Well, then you, you go back to the, the quantitative easing or you start stepping rates back down, whatever it is, right? 2023, 2024, we'll start moving rates back down. But then you get right back in the same situation again and it happens again. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, and, but you'll, they'll get away with it a few times and you're going to have to have some major currencies collapse before you have the impacts of, the dollar milkshake, which is just swallowing all the other currencies, it's going to take a while. So I don't think it's going to be an, a two to five year process. I think it's going to be, you know, a decade or longer personally. So if you see the supply chains hold together, and this is my personal opinion, if you see the supply chains able to kind of hold things together and they're able to massage these CPI numbers so that they stay under double digits, and you don't see people freaking out because they're not getting baby formula and things like that. I think the longer term adjudication 
of all these markets can play out, I don't necessarily think that that's the most probable. Of course, I, uh, you know, from from what I hope happens, you know, whatever Greg or, or James tells you, I hope it takes longer than whatever they say. <laughs> uh, and, and respectfully, respectfully, we don't want it to happen, right? We actually yeah, want it to take as long as possible so we can build this parallel system. But then I also have to call out the elephant in the room. Americans don't generally need to worry about this relative to other countries because yes. America is so privileged. And it's really the other countries that we have to think about as well. When the US dollar strengthening torpedoes third world, lesser developed countries, yes. those are the countries that get punished. This is what Ray Dalio historically. Ray, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Greg. Yeah, that, this, okay. is, this is what Ray Dalio just literally tweeted out today was basically okay. your comment. Which you uh, just interesting. Said. So yeah, but that's the truth, right? I mean, America lives in a from a perspective of privilege, and it's true. That's why they are the the strongest economy, the world's strongest military. They have the petrodollar, which allows them to print oil. But that could all end. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to. You need. I need to be really clear. If Canada is to survive, which I really hope Canada survives, it needs the USA to survive. The USA does not need Canada to survive, though. That is the reality of the uh, it'll hurt the USA that one of their largest trading partners goes belly up. But it is not imperative that Canada survives in order for the US fiat currency to survive. I'm working hard in Canada to ensure a soft landing, if you will, or a buffering in any outcome. All paths lead to Bitcoin. It's that simple. And let's not overthink it. This is insurance. And we talked about you know, the correlation with other risk assets. There will be a rude awakening to the world when they realize that your most beautiful insurance product with no counterparty risk is act actually something you've been shorting to try and hold it down like a beach ball underwater because your NASDAQ long tech position is underwater. It's going to be hilarious, sort of but there's going to be pain on the street. The bigger picture though, Preston, I want to bring it back. Firstly, we don't want the US dollar to fail. Secondly, there will be every single other fiat currency in the world will fail before the US dollar does. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a push pull. Well, I think it's also important to note that like Bitcoin is going to benefit the economy even before before we see kind of this potential fiat collapse, if it ever happens, because I think what ends up happening is, is as Bitcoin grows, we have a fallback. Mm -hmm. If people have a fallback, a trustless, permissionless fallback, it keeps governments honest because over time, naturally, as Bitcoin grows, people can invest in Bitcoin or they can hold their savings in the local currency. If people feel as if their, their government is being dishonest, is misaligned, or is following their own self-incentives, what naturally happens is they're going to see people flood back into Bitcoin. Bitcoin's price is going to rise, pulling power away from government. Whereas governments that are offering favorable terms and managing their fiat currency effectively, naturally, their, their population isn't going to exit to Bitcoin as fast. And so I think Bitcoin is going to benefit the global economy, not just from like an individual perspective, but I think that it keeps people honest. It keeps governments honest. It keeps integrity with governments as well. Instead, to your point, I, just to give a shout out to, to an event that's going on this week that I had, uh, was lucky enough to attend last year, which is the Oslo Freedom Forum. So Alex Gladstein's event with the Human Rights Foundation. You, know, you talk about groups of people that understand Bitcoin immediately. It's these, it's these groups in emerging markets and lesser developed countries that do have authoritarian regimes in place, and they need financial sovereignty. 
like to Greg's point, us here in North America, I mean, we, this is a, this is like a video game to people, right? Oh yeah. Let's watch big ads. It's, it's not very funny when you literally see the, the value of your entire life savings get cut in half overnight. Yeah. You know? And so to your point, Seb, I think you're exactly right. People are going to choose to save in a different currency. And that, you know, we had what, 44 different countries visiting El Salvador this last week. Is that right? Mm -hmm. It was a 44. I mean, and Greg, you and I were talking about this earlier today. It's not like all of them are going to go home and just say, oh, that was fun. You're going to have some of them working to adopt Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a template. So while you've, as a template, exactly. And so while you've got the forum going on in Oslo, you've got, you know, the forum going on in Switzerland at the same exact time. It's just classic. You know, it's it's almost comical that Davos is going out the exact same time. Right. So, but that's, it's perfect. It's a perfect demonstration and visual that two systems are diametrically opposed. And Mm -hmm. one of, one of the system needs the other to not work, but is trying to figure out how to get that to not work yet. We all know you can do whatever you want. It's not going away. It's here to stay. And so it, it would be better if you're one of those 44 countries that visit El Salvador, if you embrace it and start working it into your system. I like Sebastian's point because in, in a way, he was indirectly saying to us, it doesn't matter if it happens faster or slower. The system is there to catch whatever the, tra- whatever the transition point is. The system is in place and ready to, to, to catch that. Hey, guys, I want to transition over and talk about the Looking Glass education platform. So my, oh my, this thing is, this is amazing. This, this is, for people that are wanting to look this up, we're going to have links to it in the show notes. It's called lookingglasseducation.com. You guys' mission here is to educate people and empower individuals to take control of their financial future. Tell us the story of how this got stood up because you got free courses on here. People can learn from, from the ground up. If you're listening to this and it just sounds like a bunch of financial jargon, that's part of the story here of why they built this platform. So Jason, go ahead and take it away and tell people, was it Greg speaking an alien language that was the yeah, impetus was, for this? It was, it was literally Greg saying, you know, it's easy. It's just first and second order derivatives. And, and, and I'm listening to this podcast with you, Preston, thinking, no, nobody knows what that means, Greg. And, and, and I'm sure that, that I should know what it means. And it really sounds like uh, important, but I, I don't understand. So I reached out to Greg on Twitter and I DM'd him and I said, you know, excuse me, sir, could you please suggest somewhere I could go to try to make some sense of the fixed income markets that we're talking about? And so he sends me his four, his four part paper. It was like 40 pages long. And I'm thinking, oh, this is perfect. I'll just read this paper. I'll be good to go. I understood less after after this article was was sent. I mean, he's got stuff in there that's jargon that you know he's talking about mark to market and insolvency. Nobody understands this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so I reached back out to him and I said, "Would you mind setting up a Zoom call with me because I'm at a loss, but I think there's a, a significant need in the community at large to actually make sense of this stuff, right?" And and, and so that's how the whole idea was born. And luckily, Greg, is, Greg has many talents, um, and he's a fantastic human being. And one of them is he connects everybody. 
And so that's true. That's true. It, it is right. Yeah. You, you can't even walk through the Bitcoin conference uh, atrium and, and you can't make it five feet without him stopping, you know, to talk to three different people. So he was able to connect all of us up and, and um, we've kind of taken this mission head on, which is to meet people where they're at uh, on their journey, everywhere from, I don't even understand what the word fiat means to all the way up to people who are kind of at intermediate retail investor understanding, but just want to learn a bit more. I love it. So you guys, you, you transcribed the article, you made sense of it and put it in terms that any person could understand. Talk to us about that process. Yeah, I, tr- I, I translated the, <laughs> translated the <laughs> article into plain English that, that most people could understand. And of course, I write this and we get it published in Bitcoin Magazine and anybody can, can look it up on, in the magazine if they'd like. But So I'm, I, I write this article with Greg. I'm really proud of it. And I send it to Seb and, and Daz, one of the other guys on our crew, and, and they say, yeah, this isn't 101 level stuff, Jason. This is like 301 as opposed to 601. And, and to their point, uh, they were right. And, and so, you know, I, I want to send it over to Seb now because Seb has been an absolute godsend for our organization. He's 29 years old. And, and trust me, he is far wiser and more mature than I was when I was 29. And he was able to create the, uh, the, the kind of introductory foundational course with uh, Daz, one of our partners from Australia. So, uh, You know what? Like, I appreciate the comment. I feel like it's the books talking. I'm just absorbing too much information. But I think um, what really, I, I have to say, like, I, I want to reiterate that comment about Greg. Like, Greg is this magnet in the space, and it just <laughs> blows me away at his connections and the people that he knows. And so initially, Jason reached out to Greg. And then Greg reached out to another guy called Daz. And then those guys reached out to me. My background is kind of, I'm a man and bike instructor and I've always loved coaching and educating people. And I find a fascination in trying to distill complex subjects down Mm. into their simplest form. Mm -hmm. And from that, after years of teaching backcountry, working as a man and bike instructor all over the world, I was just like, man, I just feel like I can make a difference. And and I love making a difference in someone's life. But I think I can make a difference on a larger scale in this love for teaching. And so I took this passion for teaching and tried to write about the financial markets. And if I'm to be 100% honest, Preston, I have to say, like you, I've been watching your podcast for coming on probably five or six years. Like it has (laughs) completely, I used to be a massive Warren Buffett value investor and I just fell deep down the rabbit hole. And um, I ended up writing an article called um, When More Isn't Better Inflation in the 21st Century discussing the issues that we're facing with inflation for the average investor. And then it brings it and ties it all back to Bitcoin. Greg read that article and shared it. And then from then, that's kind of where the group Mm. kind of formed. And we really recognize like more than anything, like for most of us, and I'm sure I speak for most of these guys, like if Bitcoin's price goes up, that's amazing. But that's not why we're in it. We're in it because at the moment, there is a tear in our social fabric Mm -hmm. and we need to fix the social fabric more than anything. and so. We really recognize as a group the importance of educating those who need it most. And so our focus is making sure that our product is free to those who need it most and kind of that end user. And so at the moment, we're focused on really trying to release high quality, jargon-free, concise, simplified content, uh, content that really teaches people about the macro space. Because we also recognize that there, there's tons of amazing, amazing 
companies in the space and individuals in the space that are sharing Bitcoin content for Bitcoiners. But we recognize that Bitcoin, Bitcoin is intimidating. And Bitcoin does have the maxi market, whether you agree with it or not. But the problem is to the average user, that scares a lot of people off. And so we really focus on, through our content, we really focus on trying to teach people how our world works and the macro environment. Why do we have inflation? What is inflation? Why, why have we got the debt burden that we have? What are the byproducts to this? Wealth inequality, consumption, uh, environmental destruction. And then we believe that if you teach people how the world works, Bitcoin is naturally the orange light that draws you in. So we don't need to push Bitcoin as Bitcoin maxis. We just need to explain how the world works and people will naturally get sucked into Bitcoin because it's the natural logical step as to what can fix a lot of the issues that we face in our economy. And but, you know, the, but the, the way that it's laid out, you guys laid it out so well. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't do this part. You guys did this part. It's incredible that it's a simple course yeah. and you step through it module by module and it builds on itself. It makes it so easy to do. You could do a course for just a few minutes or, you know, a module for a few minutes, or you could burn through it over a weekend, whatever it is you could take, you could just dive in and go deeper and deeper through those different modules. And in the definitions of some of the things that they talk about, or we, we put in there and dive even deeper into subjects that are within there if you want, but it's, it, you, they did an amazing job. I mean, and this is free for people listening. This, mm-hmm. this is all free. Like there's nothing yeah. you got to pay for. This is, this is something that if you're listening to this conversation, you're wanting to get a good foundation, go to the website, just click on start course and start taking the course. It's free. Guys, I think, I, think I, was, I was going to mention one th- quick thing, yeah. just for a little bit of clarity for those that just listened to kind of what James was saying. I think it's important to note, like, kind of what is our offering at the moment? At the moment, like, we have, if you go to our website, we kind of have two offerings. We have the course, which is for the average Joe, the wage earner, the person who is trying to explore the issues we face, and they don't even know where to start. And so the course, it steps through well, what is money to start? Well, it's time and energy. And then we explain all of this stuff about what money is. Now, once someone understands what money is, we go through the evolution of money. How do we get to where we are today? So we go through barter, we go through uh, gold, we go through paper-backed gold, and then we get eventually to fiat. We even include central bank digital currencies. And then from there, that sets the basis for understanding our inflation and debt issues. And then it looks at, well, what are our options with this? We can, we've got gold, we've got bonds, we've got equities, we've got Bitcoin. Why, what are the pros and cons to each of these? Because we really we want people to understand that we're not just pushing this multi-level marketing Ponzi. Like When you understand the issues we're facing, Bitcoin makes logical sense. And for everything we've talked about in the macro side of things. So that's the course side of things. And then we have the deep dives. And the deep dives, we have James's absolutely phenomenal. If you're looking for more of a, a newsletter, he's got the informationist. And so we, we post up James's informationist newsletter. And those are kind of uh, the deep dives into specific little subjects and they're each week. And then we also have Greg and I's article. We've got Jason's article with uh, Greg. We've got other contributors as well. And these are more specific articles on a topic that someone has gone deep into. And at the moment, we're also working on a um, Bitcoin-specific course, like how does Bitcoin work? What is miners? Well, who are the nodes? What are the BIPs, Bitcoin improvement uh, proposals, things like that. And then we're also, our biggest goal right now is we recognize, and this is an issue throughout the whole space, we recognize if we want Bitcoin to become mainstream and benefit the world, we need to get in front of the people that don't know about Bitcoin they don't even know that we have issues in the economy. They don't even know the questions to ask. And so we are really focused right now on building out our course into educational curriculum for schools. And so we're partnering with people in Madeira. We're partnering 
with uh, people in Colombia and El Salvador. And we're really trying to focus on pushing education because if we can get into the schools, that's where we can start to change the next generation. So they know how to stand up when there are issues in the, uh, the economy and they know how to protect themselves and their families for the issues that we currently face. So we- I, th- I think, and I, I think you're precisely right and, and eloquent as ever. And I think what our core thesis is that really adoption is a function of education, right? It's a function of once you see these things and you actually understand the way the world works, as Seb was saying, your conclusion will be Bitcoin, right? We don't have to actually jam that down your throat. It just becomes a natural progression of how you understand things. And, you know, the other group that we're kind of focused on as well is, is everybody's been in this situation, right? You're at a, you're at a dinner party or you're, you're out hanging with your friends, whatever. And somebody who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin asks you because they've heard that you are interested in this, you know, internet money, whatever. And I always think of kind of that Mike Tyson quote, which is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? So you say, yeah, the Bitcoin's great. It's an inflation hedge. And then your buddy says, well, what's an inflation hedge? I don't know, right? I mean, the fact is, if you have some understanding of how this works, even at a basic level, and you can speak intelligently about it for five minutes, three minutes even, and you can describe what the Federal Reserve is and what inflation is and what fiat is and what right? If you can actually have an intelligent conversation, suddenly your message is heard by that person and they think, well, okay, there may be something to this. It's not just some, some BS digital asset that people trade and, and have fun with, right? So it's kind of aimed at all those groups of people as a way to really ultimately spread the adoption of Bitcoin from a grassroots organic level. So guys, we have a very generous audience. And for some of them, they're going to go through the course. They're going to learn a ton. And for others, they already know a lot of this stuff and they're hearing your story and they're saying, what can I do to help? And so what would help you guys the most? And if the answer is donations, if the answer is we need people from other countries to volunteer, if we need whatever that is, feel very free to be blunt about it because I think most people listening to this show are just very straightforward type individuals. And if you say that X is what I need, they're going to, they're going to reach out to you and they're going to give you X. So what is that? You know, you know, like we fully recognize that like when it comes to donations, we're setting up a donation section to the page, but more than anything, like we've really, really recognized that the educational space is so convoluted globally. And so whether you're in the States, whether you're in an individual state of the States, whether you're in Canada, whether you're in a developing country, we really, any guidance whatsoever, or if anyone has any feedback when it comes to helping us reach out to school boards, how to structure this educational content, because more than anything, if we can get into the schools, we can target thousands, tens of thousands of people. We're no longer targeting an article with a few hundred, a few thousand people. Like This this is going to change face of, as I mentioned earlier, kind of the social fabric. And so I think it is so important if we really appreciate any help whatsoever, any insight into education, any insight into the educational space. And on top of that, on our website, if you take the course, if you read any of our deep dives, we are always open to feedback because in the end, we want to make sure that like the looking glass is as beneficial as we can be to the general populace, because more than anything, we believe that Bitcoin can make a difference in this world. And it is such a powerful technology. And we just need people to understand the issues that we're facing in our economy. 
Well, Preston, though, one thing that I need to point out, and this is, you know, a reflection of me when I say this, we don't need any more fat old white guys, though, right? We need, and we have a graciously, I shouldn't say graciously, luckily met a young lady from Columbia, Dahlia Pratt, who is involved in the education system in El Salvador. And it's called My First Bitcoin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that uh, initiative in El Salvador, Mi Primera Bitcoin. And they are trying to build a school system and they're seeing results already. They're, they're succeeding in getting the kids off the streets or at least giving them an alternative to going when they're 15 and 16 years old to work with the gangs. And I'm really proud to say that our platform has donated already 40,000 US dollars to the education system in El Salvador. And it's because of having a conduit like Dahlia, who we trust. She's part mm-hmm. of our team. Mm-hmm. She's obviously Spanish speaking, very, very advantageous for us to have boots on the ground. And we're proud to say that those donations that anybody funneled through us, perhaps we could be a conduit to, uh, furthering the efforts because their budget is bigger than $40,000. It's, it's quite substantial, but you know, Bukele starts a program down there, but it's like everything. It comes at you in a tidal wave and, and then they don't think about, well, how are we going to actually implement this in the schools? Because if they don't have school, physical school houses to teach the students, then it falls on deaf ears a little bit. So we're really proud to be part of that. And a shout out to Dahlia and, and uh, you know, her desire reaching out to us. So we can't be all things to all people. But one of the things that I was really proud to be, I actually was a, a reader of a high school kid's thesis in Florida that was on Bitcoin. And I was a 45 minute dissertation of his thesis. And Seb took it upon himself and said, this is such a great thesis. We're going to publish it on our website as well. Right. So it comes at you in all different ways, Preston. It's a thing of beauty. I often say that the, uh, the Bitcoin community, having worked on Wall Street where 99.9% of the people are takers, it's so <laughs> great to be involved in a Bitcoin community where 85% of them are givers. And the other 15 that aren't quite givers, they're, no, they're not nearly as bad as the Wall Street takers, okay? <laughs> they might be a little toxic and all this, but it's a great community really proud to tell you that, you know, that Seb has taken this and is running with it with Daz. These are two young kids that are going to change the world because they have time to change the world. Right. And, you know, what a great thing that you you guys were flattering when you said I'm a connector. I'm not a connector. Well, maybe I am, but here's what I would say. If I'm the smartest guy in the room, we're in big trouble, right? I like to surround myself with people in the wrong room. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to surround myself with people that are really smart and really motivated in different ways. And uh, that's what this group brings to the table. Uh, Um, Greg, and I told you this, I told you this before that the, the world is a place right now where good human beings are in short supply. And you are a good human being and you have really pushed this initiative because you saw the value in it. I would just add two more things, Preston, as far as other people, what they can do to help. One of the things we're going to be working on is putting together this concept of a community educator toolkit, right? So kind of a turnkey solution. If you go on and you want to print out, whether it's study guides or a curated list of resources or some really basic educational material, put together a Bitcoin meetup group in your community, 
right? Sit down with 10 people, 20 people and start explaining this stuff. Every little bit counts because that, that type of thing just expands the understanding and the adoption curve exponentially. And then the only other thing I would say is that also on our radar is we're trying to put together some in-person instruction courses, you know, some like a, a one size or scratch that. Like for folks who are kind of on the intermediate stage of the spectrum of understanding this, right? They have a, a vague familiarity with, let's say, fixed income markets and equity markets and global macro, but they're, they're really looking to actually figure this stuff out in a granular fashion. We're, we're working towards putting together some in-person uh, courses that people could attend, probably piggybacking on some of the other large conferences that occur kind of on an annualized basis. And so we're going to need help from some folks like you, Preston, in bouncing ideas of curriculum and structure of those courses off, because trying to put these things, these large macro pieces into a schematic that fits together for people really is, is the key here. We need to provide a structural framework that people can understand how part A fits with part B and connects to part C, right? That's what's missing. And so you know, we're going to look to, to people like yourself and, and connections with Lynn Aldens and Luke Gromans and whatnot to really help us translate this to financial outsiders and retail investors. Well, I think there's one, one more thing that I just want to highlight out of, out of this, and it's not actually do with looking glass, but it's more, I just think the more time you spend in this space, the more you realize that if you look at the fiat system, the fiat system is this centralized coercive product. It's, it's coercing people to use their product. And there's only a handful of people at the top that control this product. When you look at Bitcoin, and you look at this passion-based decentralized project. There are people, millions of people, including all of us that have left our jobs or are dedicating immense amount of time out of our free time and passion for this thing, because we want to truly just help. And this is where I believe that in the end, the truth will prevail. We're going to have a rocky road in between. But I think in the short term, oh, sorry, in the long term, I think that when you've got millions of people globally that are here just to help because they want to try and do something for the betterment of society and the economy, that is just phenomenal. When you look at the coercive system, it does not incentivize that. It incentivizes everyone for themselves and everyone just trying to build as much of a safety net as they can because the economy is kind of collapsing. It's all the white blood cells eating the parasites, right, Jason? 100%. <laughs> exactly. And here we go into COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this was a blast. We're going to have links to all of this in the show notes. I'm going to have links to all your Twitter feeds. So if people do want to reach out to you directly, they can do that. If you go to the lookingglasseducation.com website, which we're going to have a link to, if you go to the bottom, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's a tab or a button there that says contact us. So if, if anybody's listening to this and they want to provide resourcing or just kind of answer their call to action there that they were highlighting at the end of the show, please, I, I tell you, go to the website, reach out to these guys, help them out. When you see, their, when you see the website, you're going to see how quality <laughs> this thing is and how awesome their course is. And for people just listening to this and saying, wow, I don't really know all that stuff that I heard at the beginning, but I would really like to try to understand it. Go to the website. It will help you understand it. They have this thing all laid out. The architecture is awesome. I'm excited to hear that you guys are even looking to expand that architecture and, and how people can learn to kind of wrap their heads over this behemoth of information that's out there that you really have to wrap your head around to fully grasp what it is we're 
we're truly talking about here. I'm very excited about this platform. I'm very excited about this interview. And thank you guys so much for making time to come on the show today. No, and I think more than anything, I just want to say, and I know you've probably been told it a thousand times, but Preston, I think the energy and what you guys do with this podcast and your other podcasts, you guys have educated millions of people. You guys, you guys you are so one of the biggest, thanks. biggest people in the uh, like influences in the space. And I, as well as many others, including Daz on this, we really, really value everything you bring to the community. Thank it's it's so phenomenal. Much. Absolutely. Thank I can you. tell you, I didn't buy any Bitcoin until I, I had never even thought to look into it until you split off and started doing the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> and you had that first episode with Breedlove. And I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of a big deal. This is different than <laughs> the only other exposure I'd had was 50 Cent got paid in Bitcoin for some rap concert he gave eight years prior. And I thought, I don't know that I want to get involved in Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's the challenge, right? That's, that's why the education is so important because there's so many tangents people can take in this space and so much noise and confusion that it's, it's really, truly hard to, to keep it all straight. And who do you trust? And Preston, guys, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, but it's here's crazy. the truth, right? If they taught this stuff in high school, no one would ever deposit their money in no. the banking system. No. And they couldn't continue you know, the Fiat Ponzi, if you will. Now, again, I don't want this Ponzi to fail. It is a reality though, and it will fail over time. What we're teaching is combined hundreds of years of experience, you mm -hmm. know, James yeah. and myself, you know, together we have, uh, you know, 60 years of experience managing yeah. money and managing risk. That's a lot of experience. It's, you know, God bless the, the maxis that are 24 years old, but the math doesn't work. If you're only 24, unless you've been managing money since you were negative years old, James and I have more experience than you, right? And, and we can bring this to the, to the platform, not because we're smarter, okay? That's not what we're saying. Please understand, we're not saying we're smarter. What we are trying to say is this, these are some considerations you will not get from local education because they do not want you to understand this. And that's, again, a part of our giving community, not just this platform, but our giving. Uh, Seb Bunny is 29 years old. Jason said he's got way more character than uh, Jason had when he was 29. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's got way more character than I'll ever have in my life. And I'm 58. <laughs> so this is what I want to put. I want to back the horses that are going to win the race. And, you know, I think James says the same thing, right? We are pretty simple people. We know what we know and we know what we don't know. And God forbid I should ever try and put together a website. That would be the end of any <laughs> education platform I was able to put together. But there you go. You get the young kids, you bring this together. It, it creates momentum. And I will say, if it wasn't clear enough, our friend Daz Bea in Northern Australia, who is a huge contributor to our platform and you know, with all due respect to my other partners, probably the second most important person on the platform behind Seb. Preston, he basically said that he needed me to kiss you on stage to uh, convey my, uh, his love for you. So I'm kissing you publicly on behalf of uh, Daz oh Bea. Okay, buddy? You and, guys, uh, thank you guys you are for embarrassing everything. me here. No, don't be embarrassed because seriously, <laughs> look, you got to take praise where praise is due. And this, oh, he's good. a guy that has taken it. He said the very same thing. He would not be where he is if it wasn't for listening to your education <laughs> process. So 
on behalf of Daz and Greg Foss from Canada, an Aussie and a, and a Canadian, and then Seb, who's a transplanted Canadian, but of Aussie origin or Kiwi origin. Uh, thank you, buddy. I mean, this is this is good. This will get out there in front of the people. That's all we want to do because it's going to be translated into Portuguese, because it's going to be translated into Spanish. We know that all the downloads that have already happened after a few short months, we know that the momentum is there and that we have a quality product. Guys, thank you for that. You didn't have to say that. <laughs> hey, this was a blast. All thank right, buddy. You. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Awesome. Good thank night. You, Good night, everyone. Thank Great you. work. Great work, boys. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.